right, Salt City, this morning we are moving from one of the more unfamiliar books in the Bible, from the book of Amos, which we just finished, to the book of Philippians, which is more familiar. And it's written by a person who is more familiar to many of us, a guy by the name of Paul, who was an apostle of Jesus. But as he says in another place, he is sort of an untimely apostle. And what I mean by that is he wasn't a follower of Jesus as Jesus was walking on the earth in the flesh. Paul came to know Jesus later. And in fact, Paul was a persecutor of the church. And so when Paul came to know Jesus, the book of Acts chapter 9 says that he was breathing out threats against the other disciples of Jesus, and his plan was to go from town to town and to kill Christians. So he was on his way to a place called Damascus, and a couple miraculous things happened. The first is that Jesus shows up to Paul, and he says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, the Lord, who you're persecuting. Paul immediately bows the knee to Jesus. He's converted, comes to know him, and then in the same conversation with Jesus, Jesus shows him what he's going to have him do. In other words, Paul is saved and sent in the same conversation. And he has, for the rest of his life, this mission and ambition to preach the gospel where the name of Jesus has not yet been known. And one of the first places that Paul is sent to by King Jesus, is this place called Philippi. And he sees a church established there. He sees people converted radically to Jesus. And Paul wants for them what has happened in him. And I think he wants for us also what happened in him. Because we've got this misunderstanding in 21st century Christianity that you can be saved without being sent. And what Paul wants to say to us this morning is that we're saved to be sent. Another way of saying that is Jesus has a mission and a purpose for your life. So if you feel like you're kind of wandering around and you don't know what you're doing and you don't know where you're going, you're kind of aimless and bored and purposeless, or you feel like you're sitting on the sidelines in your life, this message is for you. So there's three things that we're going to see from this opening chapter of Philippians, verses 1 through 11, that are benefits of being sent. The first one is gospel friendship. We're looking at Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 3. We're going to read just three verses, verses 3 through 5 to start. Paul says to this Philippian church, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, For you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, Paul has planted this church in Philippi. He's moved on to another place, and now he is writing back to this Philippian church. And what the book of Philippians actually is, is it's a support letter because the Philippian church has not only been supporting him through prayer and encouragement, probably in the form of letter writing, but they've also been financially supporting his ministry. 
So he writes to them, and he's just overflowing. You can hear it. He's so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for you guys. Why? Because of your partnership, literally friendship, in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, a good friendship is when two people or more all have the same object of passion, and they're pursuing the same thing. And you're sort of pursuing after the same thing together. And then you're looking at each other and you're saying, isn't this thing that we're pursuing so awesome? And in the case of the Apostle Paul and the Philippian church, the thing that they're pursuing that's so awesome is the gospel of Jesus. They have all made it their ambition to see Jesus' name known. For the Philippian church, it's in Philippi. For the Apostle Paul, it's everywhere where the name of Jesus is not yet known. And Paul reminds them that this has been the basis of their friendship from the days of their first meeting together. And I think the Apostle Paul has a couple different gospel moments that are in his mind. And I want to remind you of those. They're recorded in the book of Acts, which sort of shows us Paul's missionary journeys in chapter 16. So the first one is an encounter that Paul has with a woman named Lydia. Acts chapter 16, verses 14 through 15. It'll be on the screen, so you don't need to necessarily turn there. It says, The Lord opened her heart, that's Lydia's heart, to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So what happened here is Lydia was down by this river in Philippi. Paul came along, preached the gospel message to her, and the Lord opened her heart. There were other people there who heard the message. They didn't respond at all. But the Lord, in his grace, opened up her heart, and she believed the message. So like Paul, she was miraculously saved by grace. She went down to the, to the river to hang out with her friends, and she came back saved. That was not her intention, but it was God's intention that she would be saved by his miraculous grace. And then immediately after she's saved, she recognizes the work of God in her life, and she wants to honor God's servant. And so she invites the Apostle Paul to her home. And you can imagine her serving and getting her best dishes out and getting the best food out because she wants to bless his ministry. In other words, the basis of their friendship from the very beginning is the miraculous grace of the gospel of Jesus. It's that Jesus Christ saves sinners. And both Lydia and Paul would have said, I am the worst sinner. I need Jesus. Very simply put, that's the gospel message. It's not that you have to climb your way to God through religious performance. It's that God is the God who saves the least of these. He saves the worst. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, I am literally the worst, the message is for you. For those who are hopeless and lost, Jesus Christ 
is for you. And so she's saved by grace, and she's immediately sent on a mission to partner with Paul in gospel ministry. She's not the only miraculous story that's recorded for us from Philippi, though. We have this interaction of Paul and the Philippian jailer. Acts chapter 16, verses 31 through 34. Notice how it follows a similar pattern. It says, they replied, that's Paul and Silas, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So just to give you a little context for this passage, what's just happened is that there has been an earthquake. Paul and Silas are in prison. They've been singing songs and rejoicing because they've been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And so they're actually happy. And the Philippian jailer has seen that and he's like, this is weird. Then this big earthquake happens and their bonds are loose. They're like free, miraculously. And the jail cell opens and the jailer has assumed that they have escaped out of the jail, that they left as any of us probably would. And instead, he's about to commit suicide and the Apostle Paul can see that he's about to commit suicide, and he runs out and says, no, 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 don't, don't commit suicide. We're still here. And the guy's like, what are you still doing here? And he realizes that the reason that they're still there is because they want him to come to know Jesus more than they value their own lives. And he thinks this message of the gospel must be real. And so he says, what must I do to be saved? And they make it really simple for him. Just believe in Jesus. And he's like, I will. So he believes in Jesus. This guy whose intention was to commit suicide believes in Jesus. And his immediate response is the same as Paul's and the same as Lydia's. He's like, okay, I've been saved, but now I want to be sent. I want to do something as a partner in this gospel. And so he says, Paul, come to my house. And, and again, he, he makes a meal for him. And he has him sit down. And he wants him to meet his family members. And they hear the gospel. And they're all getting baptized. And from those earliest moments of Paul's interaction with the Philippian church, the very center of their friendship is the gospel of Jesus. They have this all-consuming passion, not just that they would have hell insurance, that they would be saved and go to heaven one day, but that every person they meet would come to know Jesus. And so they continue to support the Apostle Paul, and they continue to be on mission in Philippi, and they're exchanging these letters because of this consuming passion that they have for Jesus. Isn't this how it is? with everything that we're passionate about? Don't we base our friendships on the things that we're passionate about? And we make connections with people about our passions. Let me give you a silly example of this. I was walking in my neighborhood several weeks back, and I saw 
a guy walking in the neighborhood with a Purdue hat on. Well, I grew up in West Lafayette, Indiana, and so I'm a Purdue basketball fan. That probably means absolutely nothing to you, but it means a lot to me because I remember sitting at Mackey Arena watching the Purdue basketball team in the early 90s when Glenn Robinson played for them, and he was the national player of the year, and I have this passion for Purdue basketball. And I hate when they got robbed in the Final Four a couple years back by Virginia. They were supposed to win. I still have not watched the YouTube video because it's too painful for me. And, and anyway, so I see this guy in the Purdue hat, and I assume he loves Purdue basketball. I'm seeing him walk in Minnesota. I'm like, I don't get to see people like this. So I'm like, Purdue. And, and, and I'm thinking he's going to be like, yes, I went there. I'm a huge fan. Everybody in Indiana loves basketball. But he says, Yep, my daughter goes there. <laughs> Shoot! I was hoping to have this connection. But I was thinking about, about some of us in the church, right? Some of us would be the person who's like, yes! This is my all-consuming passion. Now we're talking about the gospel, not Purdue basketball. This is my all-consuming passion. But there's some of you who just wear the hat. Right? And you're just like, yeah, I, I wear the hat. And, and, and people assume you're at church, right? And, and we're all passionate about the gospel. But, but let's be honest, right? Some of you, you're just wearing the hat. You're like, hey, you're at church. You love Jesus. You want to follow him. You want to serve him. You want to give your whole life to him. And you're like, nah, like my parents are Christians. Nah, I've got this connection to the church. Like I, I, I'm kind of just going through the motions. No, I mean, that's not my all-consuming passion. Well, my all-consuming passion is, is my money or my pursuit of career. That's just sort of something that I do on the side. And Paul is saying that he wants you to jump all in on the mission because he wants you to have these type of friendships. So here's my question for you. Are your best friends, your best friends, because both of you have an all-consuming passion for the gospel. If the center of your best friendships is not this all-consuming passion for the gospel, the apostle Paul would say, go all in. You're missing out. Because there is nothing more beautiful and more wonderful to base your life and your friendships on than this message of free grace and the relationship that we can have with Jesus. So we're saved to be sent, one incentive, gospel friendships. The second one is gospel assurance. Paul's going to say, if you want to have assurance that you're saved, it's not by sitting around and being introspective, it's by going all in for this mission of Jesus. He says, starting in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Okay, here's what we normally do with verse 6. We normally rip verse 6 completely out of its context. 
And we want to assure each other that we are sure that God will finish the work that he's started in us. And so we're quick to give each other assurance, but we must always read the Bible in its context. Paul is writing to this Philippian church, which is characterized by being all in for the mission of Jesus. And he's saying, I am assured that you all are saved. Why is he assured that they're saved? He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Why? Because you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Here's the evidence to the Apostle Paul that this group of people are really saved, that they're really in, that they're not just going through the motions, that they're not faking it, is that they have aligned themselves with Paul in his very difficult ministry. Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. He has made this message of grace such an all-consuming passion that he is daily putting his life on the line. And this message was no more popular in their day than it is in our day. It was an offensive message because it called the whole world to account for their sin. It identified sin in the culture in terms of sexual sin and in terms of greed that made people angry. And it did not coddle people in their sin, but pointed them to the need for Jesus. And it declared that Jesus Christ was the only way that a person can get saved. That has never been a popular message. And the Philippians did not desert Paul as he was experiencing persecution. Instead, they aligned themselves with him they supported his ministry financially. They wrote letters to him. They encouraged him. They cared for him. They built him up. And they imitated him in their own local context and in their own personal relationship. In other words, they didn't try to personally avoid the cost of being a follower of Jesus. And as a result of that type of lifestyle... Paul looks at them and he says, you can be assured that you're a Christian. You can be sure that you've got the real thing. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Why? Because the mission of their life gives confirmation of the genuineness of their salvation. Them being all in for the mission shows that they're really Christians. This is key for all of us. Do you want to have assurance that you are saved? Do you want to have security? Do you want to know that you're a child of God? Paul is saying you don't primarily get that by getting alone with God and looking at sort of your internal world and motives. He says that you primarily get that from going all in on mission with Jesus. Guys, I was reminded of this. I was 
coaching my pre-K boys soccer team uh, this week and over the last several weeks. And there's a kid on the soccer team who I, I just love. His name's Cameron. And Cameron showed up the first week, and you could tell he was just really nervous to be at soccer. I mean, this is a big deal. These guys are stepping into, like, organized sports. They got their jerseys. They got their shorts. They got their shin guards. They got the whole thing. And I knew that he was going to be a tough nut to crack when I threw him in for his first possession. And he immediately stood in the middle of the soccer field and started scream crying at the top of his lungs. And, and so that was the start. And so threw Cameron in there. He scream cried at the top of his lungs. Took him out of the game. Got a substitution. Kind of pumped him up. I said, Cameron, get in there, man. You gotta, can you get in there and touch the ball one time before you cry this time? I was trying to keep the ball low. And, and he runs in there. He touches the ball. After, immediately after he touches the ball, breaks down crying. Okay, that's week one. This happened several times. Okay, week two, he shows up. I'm like, hey, Cameron. Because he was afraid of, like, the physical contact. And I was, I, I was like, could you play defense this week? Like, just defense. Just go stand by the goal and, and, just, and just make that happen. He's kind of like, okay, okay, I can play defense. So he gets out there. And as soon as the ball would get anywhere in his vicinity, scream cry. Okay, you did it. You did it. Come, come out of the game. Go back in. Scream cry. As soon as the ball gets, okay, you did it. Next week. Okay, we're in. The next week, he, he shows up. I'm like, hey, Cameron, do you think you could play defense without crying this week? That'd be so awesome. I was like, you know, you were kind of like most improved last week. Like, you played defense, and you didn't cry until the ball got around you. Now, maybe, maybe you could go no crying. And third week, sure enough, he goes in, no crying. And he discovered the slide tackle, which he was so excited to do. And so he's like just running around slide tackling people and actually becoming like one of the more aggressive players out there. Okay. So you go, you go ahead a week. I'm like, Cameron, you could play offense this week, which there really isn't offense or defense, but you could actually like play soccer this week. And he gets out there and sure enough, this last week, Cameron scored a goal scored a goal. Cameron scored a goal. Do you guys see him? Tell him, awesome job. And I keep telling him, like, you're the most improved player. You're doing amazing. What's happening is Cameron, by getting out on the field and giving it his best shot, even though it's a total mess, giving it his best shot, getting out there and playing soccer, he is gaining the assurance that he's a soccer player. You can't gain that kind of assurance by standing on the sidelines and thinking, I'm a soccer player. I'm a soccer player. I'm a soccer player. You have to take one step each week. Here's what I'm asking you guys to do. Take a step. Just take a step. Get in the game. Maybe the step for you is just serve on welcome team or it's serve on tech team. Or it's just telling people like, yeah, I go to Salt City Church. It's letting people know that you're a Christian is identifying with the message of Jesus. Maybe it's telling a coworker or a family member that you're a believer in Jesus. Maybe it's carrying a Bible into the hotel and through the lobby. Maybe that would be just a huge step of faith for you in identifying with the name of Jesus. And do you know what you're going to feel 
as you do that, you're going to feel uncomfortable and at first insecure. But then do you know what's going to happen? As you start to live your life boldly for Jesus, what's going to replace that insecurity is a deep, profound security in God. Because he is going to tell you by his spirit in your soul, you're the real deal. You're a Christian. And the work that I have begun in you, I will bring to completion at the day of Jesus. And do you know what? You will want to boldly identify with the name of Jesus because the praise of Jesus is better than the praise of every person on this earth every single time. You were made to be praised by Jesus Christ. The praise of man will never satisfy your soul's thirst. Only the praise of God will. And so do you want that security and that assurance? You'll never get it by having one foot in the world and one foot in for Jesus. You'll only get it as you go all in for him. So Paul says we're saved to be sent. One incentive, gospel friendship. Another incentive, gospel assurance. The third incentive is gospel transformation. In other words, he's, he's saying when you go all in for Jesus, you won't just be assured that you're a Christian. It's in the context of mission that you will experience inner transformation of your character. Verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, there's this line of reasoning that the Apostle Paul goes through in these verses. He's saying, here's what I want to be true of you. I want you to be filled with the love of God in such a way that it abounds in your life. In other words, that it overflows in your life into a life of sentness or into a life of mission where you're practically loving the people around you. And here's what's going to happen if instead of sitting on the sidelines, you will jump in and begin to take steps of faith to practically love people in this church and love people in the city. You are going to need knowledge and discernment because it is very difficult in real life to even know how to love people and when you need knowledge and discernment what you're going to start to do is you're going to start to have to open up this book not just to do your duty with God but actually in order to get the the wisdom and discernment that you need in order to walk with him in real life you'd be like okay my dad doesn't know Jesus, and I really want him to know Jesus, and when I'm sitting in this conversation with him, I'm trying to love him and share the gospel with him, but he keeps shutting me down, and I don't know how to take next steps. Do I just serve him, and, or do I send him gifts, or do I buy him a Bible, or do I continue down this path of trying to have these hard conversations with him? So you're going to need knowledge and discernment in order to love the people in your life. But the first thing you have to do is you have to 
take practical steps to move toward them and make it your ambition to love them. Then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to see that the people in your life who don't yet know Jesus are going to want you to approve of things in their lives that are not honoring to God. And so the Apostle Paul says, you're going to have to be able to discern between what is excellent in people's lives that you've formerly been friends with or that you are trying to reach for Jesus, and you're going to have to determine what is sinful in their lives. Because as a Christian, we can't, in love for other people, approve of sinful attitudes and behaviors. We can only approve of what, if, what is excellent because what God shows us in his word is that what is excellent is the path to blessing and to knowing him and for goodness and his favor in our lives. But here's how this transformation happens in our lives. It happens as we are on mission. So I think what a lot of us are trying to do is we're trying to experience this inner transformation in our lives by just me and Jesus time. We're, we're going to Jesus and we're like, okay, Jesus, transform me and change me and make me new, which all of us should be doing that. But if we neglect the mission aspect, what we're neglecting is the very context where God wants to do the heart work. Because what he wants to do is he wants to teach you to love and to discern and to abound in real relationships with real people. He doesn't want you to be transformed in isolation he wants you to be transformed in the messiness of community and mission. So do you want to be transformed into the image of Jesus? Do you want to be righteous, which means a loving, kind, generous person? Don't isolate yourself. Give yourself to the mission of God. I got this image of, of my, in my mind of sort of the normal way that we do it, which is sort of like a stagnant, man-made pond. We've all seen these before, right? They've just got like algae and stuff growing all over the top of them. And that's because there's no internal source that is supplying fresh water to that stagnant pond. And so that pond just gets dirtier and grosser and no one wants to swim in it and there's nothing good for it coming from it but contrast that with a spring of fresh water that has this internal source of water that is constantly feeding it new water each and every day it's abounding it's overflowing it's moving and that spring becomes a source of life and refreshment to the surrounding community. It is good for something. Here's my encouragement to you. God's grace will not run out if you go on mission for him. There are fresh supplies of his mercy every single day. And what you'll find 
is that if you give yourself to the mission of God, that he will supply your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Have you ever noticed this? The people that give themselves most fully to the mission of Jesus seem to be the ones who are most continually filled with joy. You would expect the opposite, wouldn't you? It's like the people who are giving themselves to the mission are getting burnt out. But what I've seen over the course of my life is that the people who give themselves to the mission are constantly receiving fresh supplies of God's grace. I immediately thought of this woman that I met when I was in college. She was in her 70s, and she was known on the campus where I was at for loving international students. So she's in her 70s, and international students are constantly moving. They were moving into the dorms. They were moving out of the dorms. And this lady named Hope, appropriately named, would always be there. And she would invite you, which you always felt kind of bad about, because it's like, if this 70-year-old lady can lift couches for international students, then I can too. And she would always be there, and she would be like grabbing the other end of the couch and just seemed to be always filled with energy, always filled with joy, always filled with hope. And I saw that by being on mission for Jesus, she was being renewed day by day. I'm inviting you into this life, not a life of just giving and drudgery and duty, but a life of abundance, a life of being sent on a mission with a purpose. And do you know what the ultimate goal of this life is? Paul explains it in verse 11. He says that you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Here's the ultimate incentive to be a sent one of God. That's where Jesus is. Jesus is the ultimate sent one of God. He went from heaven to earth. He clothed himself in flesh. He went to the cross in our place and died for our sin. He rose again to new life, and he wants to accompany us in this sent life. The ultimate incentive To be a sent one of God is to experience deep fellowship with Jesus. It's to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. It's to experience him as your most intimate companion. It's to know him as your best friend. See, the reason Paul could sing in prison, the reason that Paul was abounding with joy is because when Paul was alone, he was never alone. Jesus stood by him and strengthened him. He gave him everything that he needed for life and godliness. And that's what I want for you too. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are here with us now, that you are a missionary God and that you're calling us on mission, not because you need volunteers to help you do something that's impossible for you to do, but because you want something good for us. You want us to have friendships that are based around the gospel, to be assured, to experience inner transformation, to instead of being overflowing and abounding with sin, to be abounding with love for those around us. God, would you instill hope in the person who came in this morning and and thought, I'm good for nothing, my life is worthless, I don't have purpose, I'm bored. Would you fill them with a fresh vision to be on mission? And would you help 
those of us who are sitting on the sidelines to just go in the game, even if it's kicking and screaming, even if it's crying, even if it's uh, just failing at times, would you help us to go in and take the next step so that we can have the assurance that we're your kids? In Jesus' name.